Well, this morning, uh, we're going to continue down the series when we're doing a bit of a topical series. Why? Because I just wrote a topical series for the Bible Hour at the Berean Bible Fellowship Conference, and boy, did God provide wonderful opportunity at that conference. Uh, So as uh, any preacher knows, if you ever give a sermon more than once, it's never going to be the same more than once. It's always different, and everything uh, changes, but uh, at the conference, we had a wonderful time, and we were, were talking about grace in our hearts, grace in our homes, which is really something that I know all of us have a desire for, and we live that out, and that's brought out through the Word of God any and every time, uh, even as we preach through books and we pre- preach expositionally through. We, uh, that, that's the emphasis that is brought out. But we had a wonderful opportunity, and I'll tell you this. I had more opportunities to connect with hearts and share people's stories than I think I've ever had at one of these conferences before. Uh, People's hearts were open. They were receptive. And because we were given a platform to be able to talk about a relationship, family relationships touch every single part of our lives, don't they? You can't get away from it. Even if you live by yourself, you're still touched by family relationships. And God's word speaks to these relationships, and he leads us, and he guides us in these relationships. And so I praise the Lord for the opportunity that we had. Wonderful, wonderful things. So we're going to continue to move through, uh, and we're going to look at the second session, which is called Better Together. And this is really a focus on marriage. So the first session that we talked about was about targeting our hearts and how we've got to get God's grace here in our hearts, to get it from here to here where it's a living, active part of our lives so that we can then bless our family uh, through all of that, and we can bless and serve others. Until we have God's grace, until we have the glory and the life of Jesus Christ here, I've got nothing to give. I've got nothing to offer anyone else except for a whole lot of flesh. And you can take a couple minutes and ask my family after the service how much, uh, what a blessing or not my flesh affords them. But it is Jesus Christ in his work in my life. He meets my needs so that I can meet the needs of others. But before, as we're talking about a family, we get so excited and, well, let's talk about kids. Let's talk about, let's talk about parenting. But we can't have godly parents until we have a godly man and woman and a godly husband and wife joined together in union. So that's what we're going to be looking at. This outline originally had four points. Today it only has two because we're going to have to split this into two parts, because something I learned, even though I had a whole hour to speak, I only made it through two points. So that's a, that's a praise when a, when a preacher gets to get through half of their outline. <laughs> but we were able to focus and, and do what we needed. So we'll be looking at God's plans for marriage this morning. Well, I want to tell you, as it comes to marriage, and uh, uh, any big thing in life, any big event, any uh, endeavor, we need about two ingredients for every endeavor in life that are essential for us to be able to succeed. And the first thing that we need, we need a map. 
We need to know where we're going. We need to have a goal, and we need to know how we actually get to that intended destination. Years ago, Mrs. Lynn and I were newly married. We had the opportunity to minister at the Midwest Grace Fellowship, uh, which is a conference that takes place in the summer, and this was down in Missouri, I think, at that time. So we had an awesome time. to We, we led the, the youth that year, and so we had a blast, but you know, we were just spent from a week of, of ministry and giving ourselves to the kids, lots of sessions, and awesome, awesome time. But we actually had to leave that conference a little bit early because we had somewhere to be. We had to get back home because Mrs. Lynn was about to start a new job, brand new job. And so we packed up in the car a little bit early and we headed off towards Wisconsin. Now, because I was serving so much and I was giving, 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 I was exhausted. So my wife, Happy birthday, honey. It is her birthday today. I'm not going to attach a number, but it'll, it'll whisper around the groom. No. It's a special important one. But my wife is, was such a sweet woman that she said, you know what, honey? You lay down. You sleep. All right. So I, I lay down, and I'm sleeping, and she drove till she just could not drive anymore. She gave just as much as I did that week. So she wakes me up, and she says, I can't sleep anymore. I need you to drive. But All you've got to do is get on the next major highway, and we're good to go. Okay, I took her words as what she said. She goes to sleep. I took the next major highway that was available. A couple hours later, she wakes up, and she goes, well, how you doing, honey? Great. We're making the best time ever. In fact, we're almost to the state line. Oh, wow. That's... That's pretty quick. Mind you, let me remind you, we were living in Wisconsin. I was in Bible school at the time. And so we're, we're driving along, and she goes, well, what's the next big city? Oh, well, this is exciting. Council Bluffs It's the next big city. Now, uh, if you know anything about geography, I obviously do not. Council Bluffs is over west, and we live over here in the east of where we were at. I got on the wrong road, and I went the wrong direction, so much so that we were so far out of the way that it would have been virtually impossible for her to start her job, her new job, the next day. So she called them, and she shared with them uh, what had happened. And here's the beauty of it. They knew me because I had worked for them, And they were like, oh, I get it. (laughs) Justin was... In the the end, the Lord's providence is wonderful. God provided for it. That trip ended up being one of the most special, sweet times my wife and I have ever had and shared in the car. In fact, we were already so close to Nebraska that we, we traveled on a few extra hours and got to stop in and visit her grandmother. Uh, and her dad actually happened to be already planning a trip that weekend. So there was a little mini family reunion that the Lord really honored. It was a special time. Even with dementia, her grandmother still would talk about that for years to come. So it was a blessing, and God used that. But you know what I really needed in that situation? A map. I needed a map so I knew where to go, and I knew what I needed to do to get to the right place. 
whenever we start entering and whenever we start talking about marriage, we need to know what God's plans and intents and his methods and his ways are so that we know how to get there. Because if we're left to our own devices, we're going to end up in Council Bluffs when we were trying to get to Wisconsin. We're going to land in the wrong spot. And you know what? We're going we're gonna to do a lot of damage along the way. There's going to be a lot of hurt. There's going to be a lot of derailment. We're going to run out of gas at some point if we don't have the map. What is the map for us? It's God's word. God's word gives us a clear picture and a portrait as to what his plans are for the marriage relationship. Well, the second thing that we need is not only a map, but we need to have the right mindset when we approach the topic and the issue of marriage. We need to have a map, and we need to have a mindset. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, let me tell you really quickly a story about when I was a leader at at Children's Hospital. I got to go to all sorts of leadership development days, and so we would be trained and learn how to, to lead others. You know, I had a very large team that I had the privilege of, of serving. And uh, one of the things that they did is, is our whole leadership team was together, and they brought in an improvisational comedian. We were like, you mean like me? No, I'm picking. No, they brought in an improvisational comedian to be able to help us break down the issues that leadership teams often fail with. Because there's, there's a, a very true principle that exists in the world, and lots of different names go by it, but one of the things that we can call this is, it's the principle of first mention. You ever, have you ever heard of that before? Which basically kind of guides and explains this. The first time that we hear something Do you know what we tend to do with it? No, that couldn't be. We, by and large, human people, we tend to respond negatively to something that we hear the first time. Think about this with the gospel. What are the the common statistics that say, how many times does a person need to hear the gospel before they're willing to start assent to it, to trust it and believe it? Anybody know? About seven times is, is the, the research that uh, some of the Christian research groups have put out there. You've got to hear it seven times till you're finally able to start to think through it of like, oh, that could be. What do a lot of people do when they hear the gospel? No, that couldn't be. That's not how it works. We respond negatively to it. And, and think about this in your, your own relationships. If you're married, think about it in your own marriage. The first time you tell somebody, uh, you bring something up, you're crazy. Like, hey, honey, let's pack up our family and let's move to Wisconsin from Florida. You idiot. No, no. <laughs> you imbecile. No, we tend to respond uh, negatively to it. But what was interesting about this leadership exercise that I got to go to is we had to do this like little game where we talked about, they threw out some scenario and we had to break down the creative walls because we usually say, you know, a business, say there's a, a problem, all right, and there's something not going well. And so somebody throws out an idea, well, what if we did this? And if you've ever worked in a group or a team environment, what do you hear as, some, as soon as somebody throws out an idea? Nah, 
That'll never work. Or maybe somebody else throws out an idea. Ah, we tried that 20 years ago. It'll never work. It's stupid. Been there, done that. It's done. Again, there's that, that negatively. So we had to do this little game where they, they, they threw out an example of like, you're at a beach and you're together and you have to get from the beach up, up to the hot dog stand or, or something like that. And so, and, but all you've got is a flip-flop, all right? And so we had to, to go with this where we would say, somebody would make a statement about how we were gonna get from here to there and we passed it off from person to person in our team. And we each had to take exactly what that person said, and we had to receive it by saying yes and. Yes and. Where we were basically receiving, and I got that, and let's work with that, and let's try this. You see, that yes and mindset is really the mindset of Jesus Christ. I do want you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. When we oftentimes approach God's word, we look at it at one way and we put rigid walls around it and we can only look at one thing at a time. For example, some people are going to go to God's word and they're going to say, well, God is holy. God is righteous. God is just. And we look at scripture and we say, yes. And then you have someone over here on this side saying, no, God is loving. God is kind. They're emphasizing these things, right? God is gentle. God is merciful. And what do we say to that? Yes, we see that in Scripture. But the mindset that we need to have is a yes, he is holy. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is good. And he is also holy. He is also loving. He is also merciful. It's both of these things. When we have this idea, we can gain a balanced perspective of who God is and what God's word teaches us so that we don't end up off the beaten path so that we don't miss the mark of what God's plans and intentions and goals are for the most important relationship of marriage. This idea, this mindset of yes, this, and yes, that helps us to keep balance in our lives. So with that being said, I first want us to discover together God's reasons for marriage. So in your outlines, God's reasons for marriage include, number one, the union of husband and wife. I digress. I got a little bit ahead of myself. I did have you turn to the book of Philippians chapter 2. I do want to just read this because I almost did this as our scripture reading together. Because if we want to talk about how do we have a successful marriage, this is the heart of of how we have a successful marriage. It's modeled after Jesus Christ himself and his love for us. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3 says this, Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also 
for the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Imagine Christ in his pre-incarnate state. I am one with God. And God the Father says, I need you to go put on a skin suit. I need you to become incarnate. Yes, Father. But I need you to go and live in perfect union with me, never sinning. And even so, I need you to take upon yourself the penalty of every sin ever committed in this world. That perfect mindset. I mean, did Christ go, you crazy, Father? <laughs> Not my God. No. Christ said, yes, Father, and I will do it. Go back to the Garden of God. He said, let this cup be taken away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will. That's that mindset of, yes, Lord, I, I see this, I want this, but yes, I'll follow you no matter what. When it comes to our marriage relationship, might we have this heart? Despite what I want, yes, Lord. And we need to see all facets of the issue. It is this, and it's also these things. Let us gather that picture, and we're doing so, number one, by finding God's reasons for marriage. Our first idea here is that the union of husband and wife. God's goal for marriage is for a man and woman to live together in Union. Look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. We'll look at Paul's use of the original passage of Scripture, and then we will turn to that original passage. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. We read it in our Scripture reading time this morning. Paul is quoting the Old Testament here, and he says this, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. The purpose of marriage is for man and woman to come together as one flesh. Expressed another way, we could say that God's goal for marriage, God's intention, the finish line by which every man and woman work towards together in harmony, the finish line that we're pursuing is unity. Life together as one. Now, this is a given when a man and woman come together in the eyes of God and they make that commitment. They come together as one flesh. They come together. And this is a given. You are one in the sight of God when you've committed your life to another, uh, to your spouse. 
It is a given. You are one. Christ said, he, he reaffirmed the original words of Genesis, just like the Apostle Paul did here in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5. He affirms that one nature, and he says, what God has joined together, let no man tear it apart. All right? The idea is when you're one, you're one. Live like one. It's a given. But here's the thing. It's also the goal. It's the given, but it's the goal. We actively pursue living as one. It's the experiential outworking of a godly reality, just kind of like our sanctification is, right? In Christ, I'm seated in the heavenlies. I am holy and righteous. And the path of my life allows that my position in Christ to be worked out and lived out through my life. The same thing comes together as a man and woman join in unity. It's a reality in God's eyes and God's mind. But we work that out as we pursue unity with one another. Now, why does God want this? Why does he want us to live in unity? Well, he gives us multiple reasons, but we're going to lock in on two here, is that the union of a husband and wife is a reflection of, number one, God's image. It is a reflection of God's image in the world. Would you look with me in the book of Genesis chapter 1? Go back to the book of beginnings where marriage is first instituted by God early on in the creation record for us. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. One of the ways that we see the image of God expressed through the marriage relationship is based off of the Trinity. If you look here at verse chapter 26, we see glimpses of that. Now, the Trinity is, is, a, is a doctrine that we hold to, and it, it's, it's an expression that God exists as three distinct persons, yet is one. He is three in one. It's the tri-unity, a tricycle with three wheels, unity, one. Three in one. We look to Genesis chapter 1, verse 26, where we, again, we don't have the word Trinity in our Bibles. It's how we've come to describe it. But we see the multiple yet unified image of God present for us here. Look at verse 26. Then God said, let us, you see the plurality existing there, make man in our image and according to our 
likeness. We see the plurality of that, that even from the very beginning, we see God as one. But how do we know that God is one? If he's, he's talking to, about himself in, in this plural, how do we know? Well, because God emphatically states over and over again that he is one. We won't turn to it now, but we will as the series uh, progresses, but for time we won't. We could look to Deuteronomy chapter 6, and in verse 4, we have a a beautiful prayer that is venerated by uh, Hebrews to this day, and it's called the Shema. And with that, and it's taken off of the first Hebrew word of the passage here, and this is that passage that says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is... One. The Lord your God is one. And from there, this is where he goes, uh, to, uh, uh, the, the, the commandments of love the Lord your God and, and all of these things. And then he goes, you'll take these commandments and you'll share them, you'll teach them diligently to your children as you walk along the way, as you rise up, as you lie down. That whole beautiful passage of Scripture starts with the underlying foundation. Why does this matter? Because our families and our homes are a picture of God to the world. And one of the stamps of, our, of God on our family in this world is that it is multiple things coming together and living in unity and harmony, which is a direct reflection of God, his triunity, of his trinity. What we miss and what we capture as we get drifted off by following shiny things and important things in our life is we forget how important the most fundamental relationships of our life in our family and our marriage, how we are actively a Polaroid of God to the world. God's purpose for marriage is for for us living in one. We're representing the very trinity to the world. And the idea of this is, is that God has created distinctly men. And God reveals things about himself in a man as his strength in his providence, and in all of these things is represented in a man. And likewise, there are other attributes of God that are represented through a woman. If we were to separate out this room, and we had just ladies in this room, and then all the men of the church in another room, if I were to look at just all of the ladies in this room, we would not have a complete picture, a complete stamp of what God looks like in this world only by looking at the ladies in this room. The same thing would be said of looking at a room of only men because it is the picture of male and female he created them. Within the institution of marriage, we get the picture of who God is with that. That leads us to the next idea of God's image that we're representing is not just Trinity, but also in his character and the distinct uniqueness of being male and being female and how that's brought together for us. And uh, if you're able, uh, you can turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 1. If you don't have a moment, that's fine. I will briefly read it for us. But what's so nice about this passage is that Paul succinctly describes and demonstrates for us the glory of what's represented in part in a man 
and in part by a woman. And in fact, he actually extends it into the parenting relationship, and he talks about the strengths that are brought about through a father, and he likens his own relationship as a a spiritual father, and then he likens it as a spiritual mother. But we're going to look at this as the idea of both the expression of God as a man and a woman uniquely by God. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. And let's look at verse 7. Let's see. I feel as if I'm looking at the wrong passage. 1, 7, and 11. Let's go to chapter 2. That's where it's at. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. Paul says, But we were gentle among you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own children. So affectionately longing to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Look at the, look at the gentleness, look at the love, look at the nurturing that is expressed. Verse 9, for you remember, brethren, our labor and toil for laboring night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preach to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses in God also how devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved ourselves among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. We see the gentleness, we see the nurturing of a woman as God's stamp in this world. But then we see the balanced side of that, of the strength, the exhortation, the comfort that comes as, as demonstrated through the Father in this. God created man and woman, male and female, to come together as one to show a full, complete, complementary picture of who God is in the world. So husbands and wives, and we're all well aware of the differences that we naturally and intrinsically have as men and women. And so when you put that together in a single uh, uh, relationship that you're with each other by and large all the time, those differences are naturally going to rise. And the hardships that come from that and the abrasions that happen with all of that. As two very different people come together, we need to bear in mind the GPS marking of where we're trying to get. We are moving towards unity so that we might express, through our differences, a complete picture of who God is in this world. While we're talking about unity as our goal I do briefly want to just throw this idea out there. Our, the one flesh relationship, it's a given. When you've come together as man and wife, it's a given. But again, it's our goal. In the race of life in marriage, there is no neutral option. What do I mean by neutral? Well, if I were to shift my car into neutral, I'd neither be necessarily going in reverse, but I wouldn't necessarily be going forward either. I wouldn't have the, the engine to drive me forward. I'm going to be, but have you ever put your car in neutral before? 
it doesn't just stay still, does it? It's going to go wherever the landscape is taking you. If you're on a little bit of a hill, you're going to follow that hill. Whatever trajectory you're on, there's no staying put. There is no real neutral. When it comes to unity in our marriage, we have to be actively pursuing. To not be actively pursuing oneness with our spouse means that we're naturally drifting apart from oneness. What is the opposite of unity of oneness? Well, it's living as one by yourself. We could describe it this way, isolation. As husbands and wives, have you ever felt isolated before? Yeah, that's a very real emotion that we can feel in terms of our marriage relationship. But God's word points us towards the path, and he gives us means and responsibilities and roles to help us fight towards that as an individual. He gives you specific instructions, and he gives the couple specific instructions to move towards the goal of unity with one another. One final thing that I want to point out here about the goal of unity in marriage is that it not only is a reflection of God's image, it's also a reflection of God's relationship with his church, the body of Christ. This is based off of Ephesians chapter 5 and verses uh, 32 through 33. This is what we read in our uh, scripture reading this morning. Uh, and this is the idea that as a husband and wife, Christ loved the church. He led, he sacrificed, he gave for the church. How is the church to respond? In loving submission where we come over and we follow after the Lord and we walk in unity with the Lord. And Paul says this very real thing of how he provided for the body of Christ, how Christ sacrificially gave for the church. There is a living picture. There is a living billboard for the gospel in your bedroom, in your home, between you and your spouse, that together your marriage relationship, that unity that exists there is a picture of when a wife uh, responds to her husband and a husband lovingly sacrifices and serves and gives to his wife. There is something that is very special about that. And I mean, just take a look, uh, just listen to an ad on the radio, watch a show on TV, look at a commercial. Is this the picture of what marriage is in the world? No. Marriage is a painful thing. Uh, marriage is something that we put up with. The men are stupid and the wives just deal with us. This is not the picture. But whenever you take God's plans for marriage and you get them in here and you let them act out and, and you, you let them come to life, man, it's going to stand out to the world. Wait, what? Why is that husband, why is he so gentle with her? How, how could he give of himself so much for her? Or how could she ever put up with a loser 
like him. How could she ever put up with some? I, I just couldn't deal with that. There is supernatural grace available because the marriage relationship is a very picture of the gospel of Christ leading, Christ loving, and the church responding in faith and walking worthy of the calling with which we were called. That's Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1. The marriage relationship is a walking billboard of God's image in this world and the gospel, the relationship of how he's given us this marriage uh, uh, between Christ and the church. <clears throat> so God's reasons for marriage include the union of husband and wife, and secondly, the communion of the husband and wife. So unity, walking as one, and then the idea of communion is is probably the the practical outworking of that. If you are in communion with somebody, the, the com, the C-O-M part, that really has the idea of with union, all right? This is the, the goal side of things. As we're walking in life, we walk with our spouse. We walk as one with our spouse, and let's briefly just look at a, at a few of these ideas here. Uh, first, I want to point out that men and women have an expressed need for companionship. Men and women have an expressed need for companionship. Well, where do we get this? Look in your Bibles to Genesis chapter 2. Thank you for participating in the Bible Olympics this morning with us. Genesis chapter 2. And here we're going to get a little bit of a glimpse of what was going on during the creation account. As God each day is, is creating different, uh, different components of the created world, and then he starts creating life. He brings in the animals, and, uh, uh, and he, is, he has created man as the ultimate crown and glory of all of these things. And we read for us in verse 18 of Genesis chapter 2. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper comparable to him. I sure hope we get to look at like a movie reel of the creation account and seeing the, the glory of God on display as he merely said words. And things popped into existence. And he created a, a beautiful menagerie of wildlife and animals and all of these things. And in those, he saw two of each kind. And, and, and God brought all of those animals to Adam. And Adam is naming them. And he's looking at them. And he's saying, well, there's this lion. And then there's this other kind of lion that goes with it. And in that, there was a loneliness that started to develop. That he saw, where's, where's my other part? Where's 
that at. There was no helper comparable to him. Look at verse 22. So God decided to meet that very need. Actually, we'll look in verse 21. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam, and he slept. And he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she was taken out of a man. And then in this context, this is when God said, Therefore a man will leave his wife and leave his mother, and they'll come together, and they will be one. Why did, they, did we have to wait for that? Because we needed both of them to come together as one, to be that entire picture for us. But this idea of companionship, Eve was created to be Adam's helper. He was alone in the world, and she was created for companionship. In a Sunday school class one time, the teacher was teaching how God created everything, including human beings. A little boy, a kid in a kindergarten class, seemed especially interested and intent when they told him how Eve was created from Adam and uh, specifically how God took one of the ribs of Adam and had created Eve from there. Later on in the week, the boy's mother noticed him lying down as if he was ill and he he just wasn't feeling well. And, honey, what's wrong? The little boy looked at her and said, I don't feel very well. I think I'm having a wife. I like that. (laughs) I think I'm having a wife. God formed Eve from Adam for companionship for them. But not only that, God created Eve for partnership with Adam. The whole, the fact is, is that he created her as a helper to come alongside and do work. Why? Well, God had created Adam for a purpose. It was take to, to dominion and to take care of the garden that God had created for him. Uh, Adam exercised dominion and, uh, and control over that. His job was to work. But there was no helper comparable. So God created a woman to partner with him so that they together could reflect the glory of God, the image of God, and work together and tend to the Garden of Eden. Now, there's a couple things I want to point out, and we'll, we'll come to a close with this point as we basically establish today God's goal for marriage is unity as one. On the companionship side of things, I want to point out that women tend to prefer and highlight the importance of this need. I just want to be with you. I just want to be together. That makes sense, right? She came straight from the atom. She was, she came straight from the rib. She was part of him. 
and I just want to be with you. And oftentimes men will hear the echo cry of our wife's heart. I just want to be with you. Just Would you just spend a little time with me? When we hear these ideas, might we have these echoes of the Garden of Eden where we are reminded of God's plan for marriage as unity? Why? Part of it was God's blessing and God's gift to us so that we would have a companion alongside of us. Now, on the other side of that, we have the partnership side of things, where we work together and we do these things. And men can oftentimes tend to prefer, highlight the importance of this. Let's just do something together. But what I also want to briefly point out is, while we can naturally have inclinations and tendencies to where, you know, one person might really value and place a high importance, turn up the volume dial a little bit on uh, just be with me in companionship. And another spouse might turn up the dial and turn the volume up higher on, no, let's work together. Let's accomplish something together. And often those two kinds of people are the ones that come together, you know, opposite ends of the spectrum. God has a beautiful sense of humor uh, putting us together. These desires that live in our heart, these, these needs that we all have, can be affected by the, the lies of the world, the lies of the flesh, the lies of Satan, and we can try to take these needs, these important things, where I value companionship or I value the partnership, and we can try to fulfill these things alone without the spouse. And remember that marriage is also a picture of how we respond to God, like Christ in the church. These can also be expressions of how we respond to God himself. Whereas the wife might just say, please be with me. Don't you see me? Would you just spend some time with me? On the other end, the wife can, without that, when her needs aren't being expressed, we can just say, you know what? It's just me. I'm alone. The lies of Satan can start to kick in there. We can say, it's, it's, I'm all alone. It's just me. I've got to figure this out on my own. <clears throat> on the other side of it, where instead of rather than, let's do this together, we can have the same sort of response. You know what? I don't need your partnership. I'll take care of this myself. I'll do this alone. I think if we're honest with ourselves, there's all elements. There's been times, probably in all of our lives, where we kind of take those matters into our own hands of, I'll take care of this. I've got this. And remember, the whole point is oneness as a reflection of God. And how we relate to our wives, how we relate to our husbands, is such a picture of how we relate to God himself. And so I'm closing with this challenge, this idea of where, how with these disordered desires and when we're not following the map as God has laid it out, Lord, would you expose in our hearts, in our lives, those places where we're seeking 
companionship, or we're forsaking the companionship that God has provided for us through our marriage relationship, and those places where we're forsaking the partnership uh, that God has blessed and is intended for our marriage, where we have forsaken those and we've replaced it with the lies. The lies of, it's okay, I'll just do it myself. Or I'll, I'll be alone. I'll take care of this alone. Those lies take us in direct opposition of the goal of unity in our marriage. And so as we close, might God give us the heart to see those areas where we've stepped outside of his plans for our marriage relationship. And might his word give us courage, comfort, and hope for every mistake that we've made, for every area that we've gone astray. There is hope, there is encouragement, there is comfort. Today, we can turn our hearts back and we can begin taking steps towards oneness and pursuing our spouse. We are indeed better together because God created us to be better together for that complete one picture of him in this world. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the picture of marriage in this world. Lord, marriage is hard. It is dirty. It is sticky. It is painful. But Lord, at the same time, it is glorious. It is energizing. And it is special because you've created it to be special. Father, we live in a world that does not value marriage as you've set out the, the uh, principles and the goals for us. Father, help us to shine as lights in this world by valuing and pursuing your plans for marriage. Father, help us to rejoice, help us to live and walk in unity as husbands and wives. And Father, uh, the blessings and the benefits that come along uh, to just walking in the wisdom of your ways, Lord. Father, I pray for marriages that are struggling this morning, Father, even within our own church. Father, comfort us, encourage us, help us uh, to heal and pursue your plans for our lives. We love you, Lord. Be glorified in these things. In Christ's name we pray, amen.